Gaming NBS episode 294, coming to you Monday, May 18th, 2020. Welcome to Gaming and T- Gaming and BS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. I'm Brett. Welcome to this brand new show that we've just named. <laughs> After six years, we finally have a title. There we go. Yes. You know, actually, speaking of six, dude, in six more of these, we're at 300 episodes. That's pretty cool. Yeah, 300 episodes of complete bullshit. Yeah, time I mean, flies. Yes. Time flies, time flies. It does fly. Well, let's see here. Um, Count of Champions is this weekend, 23rd to the 25th online. We've talked about that before. It's still yeah, out there. It is. Uh, Game Ocon registration is still live. So that's going on. They're pulling things together. Have you registered? I have not yet. Sean and I were going to get together on uh, yesterday, on Sunday, and talk about plans and so forth. And I was a complete lump. I stayed up way too late Saturday. And uh, paid for it and didn't get up <laughs> at a reasonable time on Sunday. I knew Sean had shit to do, so I'm like, yeah, let's just call the ball and move on because I'm a slug. But anyway, we'll get back on that. But yeah, I got to get that. I got to get that done, too. Um, Let's see here. Any gaming for you this last weekend? Anything cool? I did game this last weekend. I ran my Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, something happened where they're like, look, now you have something to talk about with your show. And I... Can't remember what it was. Must have been very important. Really it good. Was, it was a retcon thing for <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. Um and yeah, it was it was a retcon thing part of it. And also it was a lot in one area where it's like, okay, what are you gonna do? I don't know. Like this doesn't this doesn't I even told him I'm like, this doesn't go anywhere. Unless you guys do something. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. So just this kind of goes to the topic for the day. That's good. I like that. I had yeah. uh, I ran my Streets of Avalon game this last Tuesday. Uh, the Penangalan, the pair of them showed up, which is the uh, Malaysian vampire where the head detaches from the body and the organs float underneath the head. Yes. There's two of them, twin sisters, that are at turf war in the neighborhood. I actually named the creature to the group before. Offhandedly, when the bargemen in Avalon dropped the name, everyone went, huh? Must be some phraseology Brett made up. Ha ha! Little did they know. And then I rolled 20 and went, oh, it's one of these creatures. I threw out the uh, classic Fiend Folio flying vampire's head with the organs hanging from them. They went, ah, uh, fuck. How the hell do you kill those things? <laughs> they haven't figured that out yet. <clears throat> it was a hell of a good time, though. And then it was Trail of Cthulhu with the kids on Wednesday. AJ and Lana have realized that if you shoot the monstrous man in the face and his body disappears into like it just whoosh, turns into mist a weird bug-like thing flies out of the uh raggedy clothes and you call the cops afterwards and the cops show up you don't have any evidence to show them they really don't quite understand what's going on and uh it probably is a good idea and they realize this before it was too late to not show the cops the string of human ears that you've found because you have no one to tie it to other than, hey, look what I have. Yeah. 
And then they ended up picking up this weird-ass uh, Egyptian obelisk thing that they've got sitting in the garage of their house now. They don't know what to do with that either. And they think they have a copy of the Necronomicon somewhere in the library of the house that they inherited. Sounds like good stuff. <laughs> it is good stuff. They're having a blast. I asked them how they're liking it, and they said the reason they like it so much is because it's so much more role-playing and thinking, talking, you know, puzzling things out and so forth. And it's very clear that you can't attack your way out of a puzzle here, right? Right. You can't. I cut the goblin's fingers off and make him talk. I shoot the orc chieftain or there's nothing like that. Especially when the, they're not even sure they killed the one guy. When Wilbur Wheatley's body dissipated, it was strange and weird and sickening and they're losing sanity left, right, and center and they find a weird ghostly. <laughs> AJ picks up this ghostly blood-soaked diary he finds on the counter. On the counter and they're like, where'd that come from? Huh, I'll pick it up. <laughs> Sand loss. It's written backwards and left-handed, and they're sorting it out using all their great skills, and they're loving it. They're freaking terrified. It's good. I like to play that just before they go to bed that way. Yeah, that's good timing. Yeah, it yeah. is. You can't and do then, it, like, in the afternoon. No, like no. I'm working. I'm working uh, then. Got to do it yeah. after dinner. Yeah. And then uh, on Thursday was um, – the Descent and Down the Mountain stuff. The uh, ah, yes. Dungeon of the Mad Mage, which is fun. I'm still alive. A few of the people are might might not be alive after a while, but we're well, doing okay. I, I would only expect as much. We're doing well. We're doing yeah. pretty well. <sighs> I think this is about it, man. Let's go on. Let's random encounter this stuff. All right, no let's get no into a random encounter then. No one gives a shit about what I'm doing. Random encounter. Segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. Got some decent feedback from folks on the last episode, which we dealt with about skill piling is one uh -huh. term we used. So the first one we have is a voicemail from Mr. Chris Shorb. Nice. Brett, Sean, Chris Shorb here calling in about your most recent episode about skill piling. It's, I think it's funny that at the end of the show, towards the very end of the main topic, Brett suggests this option of chaining a bunch of skill checks together, which means Brett has basically discovered the 4E skill challenge concept, where they chain together a bunch of, of skill challenges. Uh, you guys might get to that. I just had to call right away because you guys are talking about that. Yeah. So I thought that was funny. Uh, the other thing is you guys were talking about team checks versus individual checks, and I love that idea. And I think one thing that might be interesting is if you set some stakes for the team check. Like when the team's like, we're going to, you know, the party's like, we're going to check the whole room. Okay, great. Let's, you guys going to do it as a team or are you guys going to do it individually? And when they say they're going to do it as a team, then you can say, okay, well, if you guys are all checking the room, well, then I guess that means no one's checking the door, right? And then they can all roll and just like team stealth, they all roll their, their, team perception or team investigation and uh but that chance can happen and maybe one in ten times something shows up at the door and they're surprised i don't know that's something that just popped into my head but that you might want to set some different stakes when they're checking things out as a team great episode guys take care cool i know nothing about 4e skill chain challenges so 
We've touched on them, though. I mean, yeah, you- I, I, I've played 4E once, maybe yeah. twice. So I know Jack about the rules in that space. But if that's a thing and there is um, a codified, hey, here's how you do it. If it sounds interesting, look it up. I mean, the 4E rules are out there. You can get a hold of them and figure out how it's done or look it up. Somebody else has probably explained it, displayed it in more detail. Um, I like the idea of stakes. I think that's pretty good from Chris. Um it's funny, sometimes I'll hear somebody say stakes. I'm like, what do they mean by setting stakes for? I'm like, oh, consequences is what I think about. I'm like, oh, that's what you're doing? Then this happens. Or the potential for this thing happening. However, that can feel like a kind of gotcha. Gotcha auditor, gotcha DM. Going, ah, you forgot to do this. Therefore, you get screwed. Ha, ha, ha. And that seems rather not fun. Where if you say, okay, if you're doing this, there's, you know, when you do that, that means you guys are totally focused on this thing. You can't do all of it at once. You know, the benefit of the group skill check, the skill search, the group search, I should say, you're going to lose that unless you dedicate the time. During the time you're dedicated doing it, something could happen. Clear? Clear. Check. Something happened. Well, we knew that was coming. As opposed to the, hee, 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 they don't know that they've left the back door opened. You know, that that can be a little... We talked about that under adversarial DMing, and some people don't find that to be adversarial or uh, gotcha y. But um, some of my best, most intense gaming arguments have happened over exactly those types of things with my groups over the years. So good stuff, though, Chris. Thanks, man. You ready to read, Sean? Yeah, man. You, you want look me to ready. start? You All can right. start. You look ready. All righty then. Gabe Dibing comments on the same topic. Uh, skill piling. I've seen two approaches in different games that I would use in D&D. This is the system the topic addresses, of course, does it not? I actually don't have to use these rules because my D&D is swords and wizardry. Well, that's not it, D&D. That's swords and wizardry. Yeah, that's... Gabe. Gabe. The spelling of the two is totally different. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> in my Conan 2D20 games, PCs can assist a character with a skill test. First... The player must state specifically how the PC is helping. Then the player or GM rolls 1d20 under the skill for PCs. It's usually more d20s than that. If the roll is success, then this is added to the successes of the PC directing the action. 2d20 is a dice pool mechanic. PCs must generate a number of successes at or above number of difficulty. Any success is over, number of difficulty becomes momentum, but the elegant beauty of this system, including all its gorgeous nuances, is outside this discussion at hand. Fair enough. Against the Dark Master, a percentile retro clone re- slash re-envisioning of Merp. Have you heard of that, Brett? I have. Yeah. We I have, brought it up on have, a die roll. Yeah, yep, yeah. I've heard about it. Uh, has a similar approach. One PC is the main actor... Everyone who is helping must explain how their character actions are of benefit. Then the player's role, using the character's most relevant skill in relation to the actions the players described. Each success becomes plus 10 for the main actor. This is easily ported into D&D. Successes from other characters who are able to describe how they are helping become cumulative plus one bonuses to the main actor's skill role. There's a cool thing that Gabe is bringing out there, and Sean and I bring this up periodically, and I know Sean actually hammers on it more than I do, but that's the describe what you're doing, right? Yes, in a 
quote unquote modern game. Oh, there's skills for this, there's skills for that, blah, blah, blah. Oh, the OSR, you had to describe everything. You know, look, boys and girls, you can come at this as the game master and say, okay, you want to help. What are you planning to do to help? Right? Oh, I, you know, I hold the umbrella over her head so that the rain isn't pouring down on her so she can focus while she picks the lock. <clears throat> I like that. You don't have, you can get very creative with what you're doing. And in my experience at Brett's table, when you are the more creative, the more um, oomph you give to your description, sometimes the difficulty class goes down a bit or the bonuses to, tr to succeed go up a bit, whatever. Right. So I think a piece that Gabe talks about there is first, you must state specifically how the PC is helping. I think that's very important and it could easily get, well, I help. Okay. Roll 2d20. Uh, I, I give aid. It becomes this little button you click on your, you know, shortcut on the keyboard. We're all guilty of it. We all do it sometimes. And sometimes like, look, are you helping or not? And every once in a while, we just kind of blow through it because we just don't feel creative at that moment or whatever the case is. It's not like you got to whack people over the head with the creative dictionary. But when the opportunity presents itself, ask, how are you helping? Yeah. Because sometimes, quite frankly, you're like, I want to help him pick the lock. How the fuck are you doing that? How many hands and lock picks can you cram into one little padlock anyway? It seems... Seems silly. One person armchair quarterbacking? Nah, too much tension. I mean, how's that helping? You know? So I think that that piece that Gabe said a, a number of different times in there is very important and really yeah. helps helps to add to the flavor of the game. Yeah, and I think that specifically might be a role master clone, actually. Retro clone. Splitting, I think so. Splitting hairs. A little bit. Yeah. But thanks, Gabe. Good stuff, man. So the old school DM came in and said, there's no skill piling in my games of D&D 5e. One, no rule required. Passive perception slash investigation is what used to be called taking a 10 and the default minimum score for those checks. If a difficulty is below the passive score for any of the appropriate characters, you don't even have to ask for a roll. They get the info. This is rules as written. Note, it's worth singling out to the character with the highest passive score as... <clears throat> to be the one who, quote-unquote, noticed the info to reinforce the specialization. Number two, one roller, optional helper. When I call for a role that is valid for the 5e help mechanic, I often prompt, are you doing this alone? I ask, how are you helping? Only to present a role-playing opportunity. I just hand them the tools to keep the light up, or whatever is fine. Everyone roll together. I, I often call everyone roll a skill-slash-attribute check. What was the highest, and who got it? This is for anything where it is important that the PCs get some information. The highest score determines how much detail is revealed. If everyone can check at the same time, this just gets everyone to pay attention to what's going on and listening to the result, as well as providing role-play moment. As normally the proficient character with the high is the proficient. Yeah, normally the proficient characters roll the highest. But if they don't, it's fun to ask them explain why they missed it. Number four, I never allow a roll that isn't called for. Don't care what you rolled. Put your hands in your pockets. You can't stop touching your dice. <laughs> I like that. In short, if passive beats DC, no roll. Otherwise, determine one roller or everyone rolls. Resolve highest result. There's no piling on since who, if anyone, rolls has been predetermined before even talking to the players. Quick and easy. Just the game just moves along. There is an interesting thing. I love the fact that Randy calls us out, our buddy, the old school, is the passive perception investigation piece, the passive perception in 5e. I don't know if it's just me, but goddamn, if I always forget that. 
I know it's a rule. It's a raw. It's rule is written. I know it's there. But damn, I, I have a tendency to forget it because when I'm playing D&D, I don't think about that rule for some reason. It's actually worse than inspiration. I find better ways to use inspiration and give it and, and do creative fun things with inspiration. But man, the passive perception. I, I'm going to have to find a way to make a big sticky note, put it on my Game Master screen or something that says, Hey, Brett, jackass, check passive perception. I'm going to have to write them down, if nothing else, too. You know, I think that's another one of those GMs rolling the dice for you. If you keep track of all the passive perceptions, you can just do a quick glance on your screen and go, ah, yes, Sharon has the best one. Boom, she's got the info. Sean, when you're running, you just ran um, the Tomb of Annihilation. Are you using passive perception in that, like actively, or do you like, ah, oh, fuck, I forgot that's a thing? Sometimes I... I make a conscious effort to go, oh, passive perception, because it's something that's probably written in front of me that says, hey, a passive perception of whatever, or somebody with a, you know, kind of in this area will detect this with a passive perception, DC 13, 12, above, or whatever. I don't tend to use it as much as I should, um, because I think it's, sometimes it's easy, and frankly, if somebody, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about where the person's, like you mentioned, Brett, in the last episode, hey, you look under the bed, the thing's under the bed, you find the thing under the bed. So I don't usually, because I'd rather use the description and the narrative to award the person for that than to say that they're searching the room and then because they have a passive perception of 14 and if this item is you know, a 12, they automatically find it. I'd rather have them just say, I look for this in this area, and I just go, yep, it's there. Congratulations. I wonder if the passive perception thing is, if it's like a failing on my part more heavily than on yours. You're using it much more often than I am based on what you said. I wonder if this is a, a style thing where both you and I have a tendency to prefer the descriptor, Right. Like, how are you doing? What are you doing? A little bit of a throwback to the old days or new days, depends on however you want to say it. Anyway, a thing we like. The other thing for me is the DC. For some reason, I tend to think of DCs very- As a role. Yeah, as a yeah. role. I yeah. think, oh, it's a DC as a role. I don't think of it as the thing that you could beat passively. Right. right? I and, can see that, yeah. And I don't know why, but the think, idea of having mm -hmm. to assign- because I game master a lot on the fly, as we've talked about, and how I roll and what and how I like to run my games. I don't go, um, yeah, there's a clue in here, but it's going to be a DC 10, so we'll see if anybody's passive perception catches that. I, my, that is not Brett's thought process. Sure. When you run into the room, it's much more of a, what are you doing? Explain it to me. And then... We build that scene together and through that narrative discussion. Maybe there's a die roll to, to figure out where it is or something along those lines. However, I think it, this is just a muscle from right. uh, yeah. to what we've talked about a while back. Again, scrap the 10,000 hours piece. We beat that, that fucker to death. But the point is, if I want to get better at this, I need to find a mechanism that will help Brett remember passive perception works like this, you jackass. And some of it may well simply be writing it down and having it directly glaringly in front of me. 
Much like, hey, what's everybody's armor class? How many hit points do they have? Some of that stuff I tend not to do because the old Brett won the games I was running at the time, Vampire and so forth. didn't really matter, at least the way I was doing it. And it's bookkeeping. And ah, pesky. I don't like to do that. I just want to keep things rolling. But I think there's a time and a place for some of these mechanics that if you get, you can do minimal bookkeeping. It'll actually make the game flow better. Because when everybody knows what the rules are, and this rule is written for passive perception, it will flow. Chunk, 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 chunk. So, yeah, the little table tents that I'd make, I mean, they're really thin. They're not very yeah. wide at all. And they, I would write AC, AC, passive perception, their name, their race, and armor class. I, I didn't say that. Armor class, passive perception. And I wouldn't write their hit points because that wouldn't, I don't need to keep track of that. But I think that was kind of it. So I would just roll and I would just, I would ask if it hit because I would just kind of get sometimes my shits and giggles. I rolled the 22. Does it hit you? Does the 22 hit? Yeah. Um, Hey, wizard, I got a 35. Does that hit you? And sometimes it's out of habit, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where it's just. Hey, did it hit? Or I could just look at the thing and I'm like, okay, I should narrate. The, the problem I have is I'm not narrating enough. I'm not getting into the the DM seat as much as I should. Like I I spent too much from, not from a hundred foot view, but maybe a third person perspective where it's, okay, you're in the dungeon mm. and there's a door down to the left. What do you do? Versus like, okay, you're, it's dark. You can barely see. Make out the concrete walls. There's a crack, blah, blah, blah. And then there is a door. And be, beyond that, there is no illumination. There's no cracks. And you hear nothing. You know, I have to get more like that so that it, it just gets them into it versus sometimes like even this past session in Tomb of Annihilation, it was very puzzly. I tried this. I tried that. You know, it's not. And that goes to rolling and knowing their armor class. So if I just roll and I go, oh, I know that hits, I can say, you know, the bad guy winds up and clocks you against the side of your head. You know, your hat flies off and you take four points of damage. You know, there's somebody out there is screaming at their podcatcher or shaking their head at their podcatcher right now saying, oh, Sean and Brett, you're playing the wrong damn game. Yeah. Well, right? And I know that's, I know, I nice. know, I know, I know, there are other yeah. games out there that may facilitate the type of play that we're talking about. But one of the other things that Sean and I have talked about repeatedly, and I think it bears repeating, is that sometimes the group of people you have a lot of fun gaming with really, really like D&D. True. Or they really, really like Rollmaster, or they really, really like GURPS, or whatever their, your flavor is, they really like Call of Cthulhu, and there's limitations, if you will, to some of those things. You try to tweak and add and do whatever, and the other, quite frankly, the other limitation is is um, if you're reading or running multiple games systems, playing in different game systems, fuck. I got a Pathfinder game on Tuesday for my Avalon game because that's what my crew wants to use. And Alpha's running 5e. We will cross those streams and those wires on a fairly regular basis depending on what's going on. How much damage does this do? Oh, it's D8. No, it's a Pathfinder. Fuck, look that up. Ah, it's D6 in this one. Because we just don't have that stuff. But I like... um, There's ways to do what Randy's talking about. And there's ways to take 
that narration. And I think by having that information on hand, Sean, you can still do the narrative piece. It's dark, it's this, it's this. But thankfully you, because you have a passive perception of 15, are able to cut through the darkness and see the furtive figure at the corner of the, of the hallway, right? You can use those those points, those automatic things as part of the descriptor. Yeah. It's just, it's, again, it's a muscle we need to work. So got to figure it out. That's right. But anyway, good stuff, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, Randy. He's always got good stuff. All right. Tom, over to you. Tom continues, same subject, just, just to take along with old school DM. Because my original comment was geared towards multiple checks, I totally agree that unnecessary roles are to be avoided. Uh, I've played in too many games where you had to roll for everything. Mm -hmm. If it's something that's going to get noticed at some point, I don't require a role. If it's information that someone should know because of their profession, I don't require a role unless it's very obscure. If people are just doing normal things, I don't require a role. A, a pilot doing a routine docking maneuver at the station, no role. Attempting to dock with missing thrusters and a gunfight going on around him, yeah, roll for it. Roles should really be requested if a failure would be interesting and advance the story in its own right. If you're driving the scene of the adventure, I don't want to spend 30 minutes covering a minor fender bender you got it into because you failed a driving role. And I think that's actually almost defined like in many rule books. Like, it unless, is. unless, yeah, unless this ha something's going to happen. No, there's a theory yeah. though that this is where, like, you know, old school had this hey, hey, passive, hello, hello, passive rule right here. It helps you get past some of this shit. Right. <laughs> the first time I ran Middle Earth role playing Merp, which is Iron Crown Enterprises Role Master derivative. For a subset of my home group, my buddy Dave is like, oh, he knows Rollmaster, this will be great. He tries to do a simple movement maneuver in the woods. He galactically fails and breaks his arm. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> They're a quarter of the way to the adventure. They're traveling through the wilderness. And he did something because there was this something to investigate. I can't remember what the hell it was. He broke his arm. Like, I'm useless. Yeah, I know you have a broken arm. Well, that shouldn't happen. I'm like, uh, that's how this game works, man. You tried to do something risky, therefore, blah, blah, blah. Well, I didn't. I said, look, we just, this is how this functions. Let's move. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Did I have to do that? I could have easily said no role or whatever, but we were trying to play more to the spirit, more to the kind of the, the rule versus the spirit, perhaps in some cases. But anyway, it was, I distinctly remember that. And the reason I do is because I'm like, yeah, yes, this is why I normally don't make people roll all the time because sometimes stupid shit happens. It just wrecks everything for no reason. So, yeah. Good stuff, though. Yeah. Good stuff, Tom. All right. Let's see here. Um, 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 ah, Nobert. I only allow passive checks for detecting a hidden threat and subtract five from passive if they are not taking their time. Active perception, I think, is better handled through verbal description slash narration rather than die rolls in most cases. The PHB indicates if you have to be specific to find certain hidden things. Die rolls with general descriptors. I search the room. Regardless of how high the roll are, irrelevant. I don't, and don't forget to make active perception rolls a disadvantage for lightly obscured areas, i.e. seeing with dark vision. That's actually pretty interesting. The last piece, especially. I love this because this harkens back to infravision and ultravision. Remember ultravision? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So back in the old days, infravision, you literally saw infrared, hot red and red and blue, hot cold. Ultravision was like the ultraviolet spectrum or whatever weirdness. <laughs> and periodically, 
some game master would finally have enough of your shenanigans and your shit and say, look, you're not going to find the ring in the corner. We have infravision. The ring is ice cold, just like the stone floor. How would you possibly be able to tell the difference between, well, it's got a slightly different, sh and then it just becomes a shenanigans thing, right? <laughs> so the, the lovely advantage, disadvantage, or adding a penalty to it is, go ahead, look, but you're using dark vision. It's not as good. You may have really good night vision. You go outside. The stars are out. It's a moonlit night. It's pretty good. Go out there and walk in the backyard when you know for a fact you haven't shoveled up all the dog shit. There's a fair chance you're going to find yourself a landmine because you can't see as well. It's going to happen. Yeah, and if you really want to take it to another level, go out there barefoot. Yes. Just that, saying. That way you know when you failed. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Amedic, hepatic feedback. That's disgusting. But anyway, I love that and uh, very cool. Thank you, Nolabert. Yeah. Over to you, sir. Carp DM. On the same topic, skew piling. This was really good podcast, guys. Excellent topic and well covered. Gave me a few nuggets to tumble around in my toolbox. Thanks. Skill piling, what I call skill check conga, is a massive pet peeve of mine. It's how you beat a CRPG, not immerse yourself into a TTRPG. Usually if one person announces they want to try a skill and others announce the same before any dice are rolled, I'd let them work it out in terms of how to approach the problem. I'll quietly adjust the DC, add advantage, etc. based on what they come up with. Uh, if someone wants to try something after dice have been rolled, it's, it becomes a case-by-case -case situation. Sometimes there's a reasonable explanation and it makes sense. Oog, the barbarian, has the muscle, but doesn't have the touch to get that grappling hook to catch. So Uriah Bo Peep, the thief, wants to give it a go. But say if they want to search a room because they saw that the person before them searched and rolled a four, they will likely not enjoy the rewards of metagaming. If that person announces they'd like to try as they are already rolling dice, may the gods have mercy on their soul. <laughs> Wink. There is an old argument. I think we failed to bring it up in the last episode, but we've talked about it before, which is what's the point of rolling if there's nothing of interest? And we've touched it here again. So it's the, the thief has to pick the door, pick the lock in the door. They pick the lock. Nothing interesting happens if they fail. Nothing interesting really happens if they open it, right? Especially fail. If you can't do it, what do you, you know, what bad thing happens? And... Not every game system, not every group of players likes that. Sometimes I, I do know some of my players like the capriciousness of, hey, guess what? The universe sucks, and you can't get past the second door of the dungeon. Too fucking bad. Go level up and try it again. I know guys that like that stuff. I also know tons of people who can't stand that stuff. But anyway, good, 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 good stuff. Hell. All right. We're over at James talking back about weapon damage. Dear Brett and Sean, in response to your episode 290 on weapon damage, I wanted to throw in an alternative approach to weapons in D&D. What I'd like to do is get a sense of my player's long-term vision for their characters and then design a weapon that will be something they will want to keep throughout the campaign. Huh. Using the idea of legendary weapons, I design a weapon where I typically, I typically give it a new power every odd or prime number level. So the ranger may find a longsword at second level that has a plus one sword. And then every prime number level, it gains a new ability to scale with their own development. We talked about this a little bit before, Sean. This is a lot. Earth Dawn had some of the stuff we got, we uh, learned. Yeah. 
Okay, maybe it becomes a plus two sword at level seven, plus three at 13. On other levels, I would give it some other cool power that either increases their combat effectiveness or it adds to their role-playing potential. Say for the ranger, at level five, the sword gives the ability to cast path, Pass Without a Trace for free, recharge every short rest, or it does additional 1d4 elemental damage as chosen by the ranger. What's fun about this is the player never knows what the new ability the weapon will gain. They may, <laughs> they may not even know what the level the new power appears, just keep them guessing. Also, as DM, you can adjust the powers for later levels based on how they're playing the characters now. This makes them attached to a specific weapon, cuts down on them becoming a traveling weaponsmith, and it gives the DM the opportunity to inject new bonuses or abilities into the game. I did it once for Wizard Staff, where on some levels the wizard would have to complete a task to unlock the additional ability of the staff, like fight a creature single-handedly, or survive some sort of challenge. I found that the players become much more attached to their specific weapon, which opens up much more role-playing opportunities when the weapon is threatened by a rust monster or stolen by a villain. Enough for now. Great job as always, and stay healthy, James Wagner. I tell you, man, have uh, I have taken away players' gear at some point? He mentions the stolen by a villain. That has never worked well for me. How? How so? What do you mean it never worked well for you? Worked well last, for last time I last time I did it as game master, the horrible craziness happened. They lost a bunch of their gear. It was. Almost a table flipping moment for my players. Ooh. And a <laughs> the rest of the campaign was shit canned to oh. find the gear. That was oh, it. Oh, sure. All else fucking sucks. Nothing else matters. I don't care if the lich beats the world. If we're descending into Avernus and we all die, I want my bag of holding. Are you like, are you really? Wow. Really? Guess the clothes do make the man. Um, okay, carry on. Carry on, brave adventurers. Um, but yeah, I've... Uh, I'll tell you, man, taking something away from somebody after they put a lot of effort into it, and this is like their thing, whew, be quite a blow. However, so you- I like I like this idea. I don't know if it would work so well for my group, but I like the idea. Did you take all their shit away or just like select items? Oh, the best stuff. The best stuff. The best stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, sometimes games are some- capri- You're just being a capricious game master <laughs> asshole. Why you fucking do that? It's part of the thing. There's no fucking reason for this, man. Oh, all right. Thanks, that, guys. That becomes GM dick move. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. That's what yeah. they said. Yeah. Well, some games, I think some, some players, not all, but I think that's kind of their thing. Like, that. The World of Warcraft video games kind of built on that shit. Like, I collect crap, and I've got good crap, and I'm going to take that good crap, and I'm going to bring the big freaking pain down. And when you take their crap away, that's... <laughs> they yeah, get me bad. fucking pissed off. Give me bad. Yeah. Now, though, that's just one piece of what James had mentioned there. I think the, other, the rest of it is that idea we have talked about before about taking a weapon and adding, adding, adding to it. And I think in a game like 5e... Where it doesn't have older versions of the game, you'd find more gear, more magic yeah. items, more stuff like swords, for instance. Right? It could get crazy to the Monty Hall level for uh, the kids out there. That means like crazy, random, huge piles of shit. We have all—I uh, shouldn't say all—many of us who have played back in the day remember having bags and bags of plus one swords that we would give to our hirelings as trinkets. It was a thing, you know. It, it's that. When treasure 
overdoing it. You know, Game Master's like, oh, over-awarding and so on and so forth. But uh, the idea of finding a mystical thing, rod, staff, wand, sword, dagger, ring, whatever, and unlocking and figuring out has got more to it, it can be pretty powerful. And if everybody in the group has something like that, that can be pretty cool. And it can really set the characters apart at a heroic level, right? They can do stuff that nobody else can do. Pretty neat. All right, man. Last but not least, Phil emails us. Hey, BSers, Sean, great call on Mothership. My group is heavily invested, sending emails back and forth as they customize their characters to make the crew work better as a whole. I'm also digging watching your group on Twitch. It's helpful watching someone else run the game and learn from that. Hey, thanks, Phil. Awesome. That's good. Brett, question for you. Uh Uh-oh. My oldest daughter is starting to run D&D specifically, Lost Minds of Vandelver. The benefit is I've run it for another group, so I know the story and some of the pitfalls a DM may encounter. During our second session in the Goblin Mine, Fiona got right turned got right turned around trying to read the map and figure out what was supposed to be going on in the rooms. She got pretty upset when we ended the session, however, she is undaunted and plans on running the next game soon. I'm encouraging her to read that portion of the book to increase her familiarity with that part of the adventure. But I'm curious to know what advice you've given your own kids before they run games for you or what you might suggest to new DMs. Thanks and all the best in these gonzo times, BSers, Phil. Well, first off, Phil, that is really cool that you're watching Sean's Mothership game and you're pulling good stuff from it. I've said this before, Sean knows his shit. So good job, Sean. You do. You're good, man. Fake fake it till you make it, baby. Hey, maybe you've made it. (laughs) <laughs> about that, maybe. I don't know about that. I got anyway, ways to go, man. So, Phil, I would say what I, Aaron, my uh, AJ, my youngest son, ran Lost Minds of Fandover for me and Ilana. And I know for a fact he fucked up a couple different things. And at one point, he also got a little frustrated because, and I said, what's the matter, buddy? And he's like, oh, I made a mistake. And I said, I have no idea what this adventure is about. Nobody does. Even if I played it before. You haven't made a mistake. This is your adventure. If Fiona turned the map upside down, backwards, and folded it, that's the map now. I think one of the, it can be daunting for her to go back, depending on how bad her quote-unquote mistake was, to rework the whole section. But if she forgot something, like, oh, the Goblin King was not there. Oh, this person was supposed to be there. They were just gone. The players don't even need to know why. They just weren't there at the time. They could have been off running an errand. They could have been off at a different section. So depending on how what the mistake was, the other thing that I like to do with my kids is when they're running a game for me is I'll ask them, what's working for you? What's not working for you? And I tell them, look, I promise you I will not metagame this. I will not break your game if you explain to me what's happening. I promise. I will act absolutely surprised. Don't tell your sister. Don't tell your brother. Don't tell your friends. Tell me and I will help you, right? Every time I'm done running a game for my kids and I say, did you have fun? Yeah. Okay. Did you see what I did? What do you mean? When you discovered this thing and this and this and this, you made these mistakes, which is why your characters didn't have the information to give the cops when you called them. Oh, that's right. It's not bad, but this is why I reacted the way I did as game master. So you understand the actions you took and how they impacted me. So, 
the fact that she's undaunted, wants to keep going, is great. That's awesome. That means that she didn't like just go fuck it. <laughs> it totally crack on you, Phil. But I think the um, your first piece is like, hey, read it over and check it out. You know, make sure you really get up to speed on it. Um, and the other thing she can do too, which I've told my kids, like if you're not ready, say stop. Oh, you guys are going after the dragon. I'm not ready for that, so we're going to stop right here. Okay, that's totally fine by me. You know, it might suck because we were hoping to play for three hours when we played for an hour and a half. But if that, this is all learning experience, especially for new gamers and new game masters. So I think if she rereads it and she said, oh, I really wanted or there was a clue she missed or something that's really critical that she has to put someplace, tell her she can put that thing wherever she needs to. She can put that clue somewhere else, right? Um, she didn't run the adventure wrong which I think is a big piece. When my daughter, Alana, ran a game um, ages back, she was trying to run a pre-published adventure for um, Little Wizards. And she was very frustrated with AJ and I because we weren't following the path she was putting out for us. We were doing different things. She had no idea what to do. And she was terrified that she was doing everything wrong, and that we were wrong. <clears throat> so it was all wrong, just big piles of wrong. It's not how it goes. So I think... If you, for me to my kids, that always helps kind of calm them down. Like, hey, look, it's your adventure, man. You could have scrapped all the goblins and traded them out with orcs. Really? Yeah. I'm not going to stop you. There's no gaming police. You could have traded out, she could have accidentally used kobold stats instead of goblin stats and went, shit. Depending on what she is, she probably didn't actually say shit. But she could have said, shit. Ah, uh, I used the wrong stat block. Doesn't matter. Did we all have fun? Yep. Move on. Make a note to yourself, I can't believe I use cobalt stats or <laughs> whatever and just keep going. So, Phil, I hope that helps. But that's what I've done with my kids is just not like teaching over the top of them. Now, what did you do? Not condescending down, but saying, hey, what, what's what's bugging you? I promise I won't wreck the game. I won't tell anybody what you told me, but what's going on? Oh, don't worry, especially if you know the adventure, dude. You could be like, hey, ah, no big deal. Take that thing, move it over here. Put it by the red sashes. You got it. Yeah, I think to capitalize on that, I think uh, newer players, young younger ones especially, um, to try to get them to realize that if they make any anything up, if they read a published module and they skip over something, or if they get something, you the players will never know. They no. may suspect. But they really, truly don't know for sure. They may scratch their head like, wait a minute. But if if they can understand that, th th they'll start freewheeling like Brett in no time. So I'll tell you what. I'm going to, if you've not played Lost Minds of Fendover and you plan to play it, ignore me for a little bit. So spoiler alert right now. What is this at like 42.54 minutes or whatever into the show? Here's the deal. AJ's running it. There is this big, nasty drow guy wizard and some spiders in it and we got a pretty good idea where he is so aj's waiting because he has this plan the guy's in the room as soon as we open the door we're gonna get asked to get big spiders and blah 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 and we got to a point where we had some pretty powerful oomph it was what do you do i creep up to the door okay roll stealth all right you're right up there what do you do i knock on the door and i say it under common sir i need to talk to you he has no idea what to do. He's no clue. He's never encountered anybody doing anything like this. He goes, 
Okay. He opens the door. I attack him. Do I get surprised? Yeah, well, you sure surprised me, says AJ. <laughs> Wham! We smoked him. He never got one attack. Ilana, our three characters, just crush. We just destroyed this guy. He's like, okay. That was uh, <laughs> that was interesting. He still tells that story now. That was one of the coolest things I've ever game mastered. And he's been game mastering quite a bit since then. So, end What's of spoiler. But yeah. it, Some of those you of, just learn, right? Like, yeah, I bet so she like, doesn't make that move again. <laughs> holy yeah. crap. <laughs> Next time somebody knocks on the bad guy's door, he'll probably have a different idea <laughs> of what to pull off on him. That's but that's the type of shenanigans that players pull off. Yeah. And uh, Fiona could have easily gotten shenaniganed by her group. Everyone's giggling, having a good time, having fun. And the and somebody like Brett goes, I knock on the door and see what happens. And then she forgets that the, oh my gosh, it's no big deal. Absolutely no big deal. No. Anyway, enough of that. Well, thanks, everybody, for writing in and commenting on the forums and the emails. We appreciate it. Uh, let's get into the main topic. Main topic! Yeah, baby! Well, Sean, this is yours, man. Oh, yeah. You want to talk about tension? Oh, like in my back. Ah, oh, you want to talk about tension, building it, keeping it, and whatnot. And I think this goes a little bit to what you were just talking about at the top of the show. Tension slash pressure. Yeah. With your crew kind of, I don't know, what do you want to do? I don't know, where do you want to eat? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Mexican? Uh, I'm just not feeling Mexican today. <laughs> How about Tex-Mex? That's kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe, you know. So, Sean, um, what made you want to talk about this? What's Is it bugging you that you can't you can't put the hammer down? Is it you don't know how to do ninjas kicking the door? What's, what's bugging you, big guy? Well, Brad... Uh, I was running a game. It was a great game. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, after the show last week, uh, Brett and I were talking, and we were talking about, Brett's like, hey, what do you want to talk about? We were kind of mumbling about stuff. And one of the things that I brought up was the Mothership game that I'm running. So the guys, hey, if, hey guys, I'm my Mothership game, you might as well just tune out from here on, all right? Just Walk away from the show. I'm not going to mention anything, but it's really not worth you listening to the rest of this mumbo But this jumbo. is a lot about what you learned. It is what I learned, but, you know, some of that is kind of like, hey, I don't want to tell these guys what I learned, you know? it's Oh, I see. They could, kind of a, nah, it's a, no, it's a these, vulnerability. I feel, nah, these, you know, these folks are pros. They're not going to hurt you. Yes, true. You hurt know, him. They're, they're gonna, Do it. Hurt him anyway. Make just, him cry. I want to see Sean cry on Twitch. It's like six on one, man. I'm totally going to make me cry. You get your, you're going to get your mental ass kicked. That's what's going to happen. Keep and going. It's, it's not such an... Maybe it is a bit of an epiphany, but what I came up with was like these guys are facing a few different things all at one time. And so I thought... Multiple plots or multiple and oh. things like I got to deal with this. Now I got to deal with that. Like it's coming all yeah. kind of down at once. So issues. It's what? like that. It's like when <laughs> I go to it's like when I go to work. This doesn't work. That doesn't work. Right. This, guy, this guy's sick. Oh, and 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 you walk in the bathroom and somebody clogged the toilet. Really? Yeah. Really? Brett, I got to do this. Brett's I got to call the <laughs> maintenance guy and fix this. Oh, and some jackass took a fork truck and, and drove over one of my <laughs> IDF cabinets. God damn it. Yeah, never mind whatever happened before you had to go to work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The fact that I spilled coffee on myself and almost got in an accident. And Yeah. Yeah. So I want to basically take what Brett's normal average workday <laughs> from like six to about eight and pull that all down upon 
a player character group. That's legit. Yeah, you wake up, man. You you spill your hot coffee on you at the camp, and then all of a sudden, a monster comes through the camp. Oh, and shit, you still got to report to the king by, you know, in the next 20 minutes. Oh, and you should probably uh, get dressed. Yeah, what? you should probably. Oh, crap. <laughs> but your clothes are missing. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse so, me. So this is yeah. a, because, hmm. So I think this is interesting because there's one piece where people say, like, how do I keep things going, keep the pressure on? And sometimes when characters turtle and the players do the whole, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't want to leave my house. Ninjas kick in the door. Orcs attack. Right. Right. Goblins jump in. Space virus lands on your head. Cthulhu awakens. Horrible shit occurs. That's a big thing. But there is some the tension and pressure, especially if you want to have a situation or an entire campaign, perhaps be this situation where it's just tense the whole time, right? So you watch Aliens, uh, the second one with the Space Marines, where they, they're on the planet. Spoiler. Okay, so first off, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. We're going to talk about it. So get over it. Anyway, <laughs> so there's point like, la, 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 shit starts happening. Fuck, fuck, fire. Oh, God, no, oh, Jesus. Bam, bam, Marines, we are leaving. Bam, 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 bam. It goes bad. It gets to a point where every tink, every time somebody knocks a canister over, someone drops a can of rations, someone pulls this over, the guns go off over here. Everybody's on fucking edge. You want that? I am on. I am on. <laughs> this is a DMZ, man. I'm in the trench right now, and I'm getting shelled. And that's a feeling that a game like Mothership, from what you've described and what you're trying to do, I think, really thrives on, right? The unknown, the kind of the what the fuck. The horror movie thing, right? You don't get a lot of time to breathe. And some of those flicks when it's going and going and going. When Leatherface is coming after you with a chainsaw, you're kind of like, uh, ah, let's just hang on a second. I got to get a coffee. And what are we going to do about Leatherface in the other room? Jeez, I don't know. Seems kind of, eh, it's kind of dangerous over there. <laughs> So that's what you're talking about. It's like you're, especially Mothership, they're on a ship. They're trapped. Well, it's, it's the whole tension. Yeah. And part of it isn't, I mean, obviously you got to generate that, right? It doesn't just happen. Like it, it starts out with the, you know, hey, we're traveling through space and everything's just fine. And then all of a sudden so this what do you happens do and that happens. And then it's this. And then, oh my God. And oh. So are you using, when I've done this in the past, I know what I've done. I'm curious what you're doing. Are you doing... Lots of little nagging, antagonistic, small things. It's just kind of pow, 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 pow. One more straw on that camel back will break eventually. Or are you like, this is on fire. 16 men are dead. Oh, and that's on fire. And the ship is falling out of the sky. Are you doing huge stuff all the time? Or is it a mix? How are you, how are you mixing it up? Well, I think it's all perspective, Brett. I mean, <clears throat> one person's little is another person's big. Fair enough. So... <laughs> I, I, my approach with that specific game up to this point has been, they, I mean, it started out with, you know, the, the freaking alarm is going off and mm -hmm. they come out of Cairo and they're, they're uh, cryo and they're trying to kind of gather their senses. Okay. So, you know, Hey, am I healthy? You know, whatever. Do I need bandaging or anything? No, you're fine. So it's more of a shock and a, Hey, we got to figure what's going on right now because they've, they've woken out of a sleep. Okay. Yep. So it can be relatively minor and then it kind of settles down and then they realize that there's the ship and they're going to dock. So it kind of, all right, 
things are calm, shit's got together, we're good now. Now I think, I think that's important. Yes. In that when so you it's start up and down. When, right? when you start it, yes, you have to have the up and the down. Yeah. yeah. And especially at the beginning. Well, you can't go up if you don't go down. Well, yeah, and right? the, that's the piece, right? Is if all you do is escalate, and that's kind of where I was jokingly saying, if at a certain point all you're doing is escalating and there's never a denouement, never a oh my god, right. a second to breathe. You know, in the first aliens movie, there's a cat. Every once in a while a cat like busts up, Ow, god damn fucking cat. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's not the alien, it's the cat. And there we go. <sighs> the tension just whew, comes out. Well, that's out. the weird spotlight in the sound. Yeah, you've got to have... And you're going to go open the cupboard. Yeah. And the cat jumps out. You're like, oh, God cat. damn it. Right. Yeah. But you've got to have that. you got to have a bit of a release periodically. Because if you were to come in, say, you get out of cryo and your kneecaps are falling off. And right. it, there's a thermonuclear explosion. And your father is murdering you. And <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Can't deal with all this. So I like that. You start off kind of, ha, oh, and then now let's get into what's going on. Yeah, and, it, I, and it's funny because I didn't necessarily intentionally go, okay, this is, you know, there are some folks like misdirected mark guys tend to get into some of these nuances in more, uh, I would say, in a more structured academic approach. Like they talk about beats and like stuff out of Robin Laws's books, beats mm-hmm. and whatever, right? Where I... And so there are people that actually write that way. They're like, okay, I need a beat here and then whatever, and then another beat. I didn't, I don't do that, but I think I don't do that intentionally. I think I do it unintentionally and it just happened to work out that way. So having said that, they're facing a couple things right now. That's like, okay, there's a monster that they're having to deal with that they haven't seen. It's been kind of creeping around, which is kind of modeled after your typical, like, we don't know what's going on, but we hear it, and it's scratching, and the big reveal hasn't come yet. Got it. Well, now the reveals come, right? Like, these guys are well over. That's when the last session ended, was like... Son of a bitch, it's a who's he, what's it? Ah! Yeah. Ah, they're ready to... Okay. Right. And at the same time, right before that, you know, and I mentioned this at the end of the last episode, where they're kind of stranded on this one derelict ship. So... But you've, I set wanted, up a, you've set up some wonderful yeah. small stakes, though, here, right? Yes. So some small drama. Right. This isn't quite right. This isn't quite right. There's shit that's broken that needs fixing, right? Yes. And that, if you take that for a second, like, pull it back and say, let's not, we're not playing Mothership, we're playing D&D, we're playing Shadowrun, whatever. It's small things are not working right. Yeah. They're nagging. They're annoying. You could fix it if you had a moment. If you had some time, you could go fix the hyperdrive, right? Chewie, go fix the hyperdrive. Han Solo could have fixed the fucking hyperdrive if he would stop shooting at him, right? Right. You have you could fix any one of these things given the time, the tools, and the talent. Take care of this problem. However, the little things pile up, as they do, and in the middle of that, you get distracted from fixing the hyperdrive. We're distracted from. Shoeing your horses or cleaning your armor or going to see that guy who's working on your sword or whatever because something's outside the castle walls scratching. Somebody's some another person's found dead, right? There's a murder happening, there's things going on. This happens in um, in murder mysteries. Um, in uh, to do, do, let's see, like Silence of the Lambs and stuff. You could, if people stop dying, people stop being abducted, and you just had to solve the problem of the moment. And not worry about the continuation of the problem and an uncontrolled something happening, spinning out around you. It might be easy to do, but you just can't deal with it all. 
and it can't be so big. I love what you've done where it's small stuff, right? You talked about like, hey, this isn't quite right. That's not quite right. That's a little bit off. Oh, this door won't open all the way. You know, it's small, annoying, antagonistic stuff that just uh, irks you. And then, then the big reveal happens. You're like, oh, wow. It's too bad we haven't been able to fix all that weapon system stuff back there. <laughs> that sure would be handy right about now. <laughs> Sorry, I totally talked over there, but I love what you're doing. I think this is really cool. Well, and it's one of the things about this topic is I was thinking is, you know, in D&D, these guys stood around in a room for, you know, the, the better part of six hours. I mean, there were off rooms in mm-hmm. this particular area of the tomb. Uh, but there wasn't anything pressuring. Now, could I have created something to up the action or get them to do something or move them in a particular direction or prompted them in a way that would allow that that would that would make them go into a particular direction or make take action? And sometimes D and D, I find that. You know, there are situations where you're like walking through the forest, you're walking and you're walking and you're walking some more, and then you come across encounter, whatever encounter is. It could be mm-hmm. wandering monster, oh, band of, you know, bandits, you scout ahead, there's bandits. And then it's like, okay, what do you do? And then it becomes very, and it's not, I don't want to say formulaic, but it's very kind of like, okay, it's on us. Did they notice us? No. Okay, do a couple skill checks. So it's very, uh, procedural kind so of gi- thing. So let's give me an example of. So I think some just, of the. Oh, so keep going, keep going. Oh, I was going to say. So my. So the reason I bring that up is, I got to think that there are some games where this approach to throwing stuff at the party that kind of ruins their day, little things that just kind of annoy the crap out of them, but they have to kind of react to them, is maybe more more apt or more applicable in Shadowrun, Cyberpunk. When I ran Vampire, the first time I ran Vampire, I used um, Chicago by Night. And one of the wonderful things I had in the back was like random encounters. And it had like random weird shit that had like no no connection or just stuff. That's where I learned where um, the one uh, woman who was playing with me was a girlfriend of mine at the time, Kat. I had somebody spill water on her character three or four different times. She had liquid spilled on her, like, all night long. Every time she turned around, she was wet. Oh, you told us. This is, like, a long time ago you brought this up. Yeah. And it drove her fucking bananas because she's like, oh, my God, something's going on. It was nothing. It was just a really shitty day. And sometimes you have a really shitty day. I think games like like that and what you're talking about, it's when we think about a D&D game versus Mothership or versus Star Star Wars or... um, Shadowrun. I think doing what you're doing for Mothership would work well in a Shadowrun game. Sure. Because that setting, that whole idea behind it is you could wake up and snap your bootlaces. You could, the car's in the shop. This is, ah, it's going to take another two weeks to get that axle done. I don't know what it's going to do, you know. You could have that annoyance happen. And it feels very natural and native to the, to the setting. And Mothership, you walk into that game you know what it's about. So as players, you're kind of expecting it. If it was a very, we walk in, we do three searches, we find a thing, oh my God, it's a monster, find out how to defeat the monster, move on. Eh, it doesn't work that way. You want that horror feeling. And one of the ways that horror movies or horror stories of any kind are, it's 
to have the tension and the pressure it can, it starts with small stuff. The kids on the road whose car breaks down is the first thing. The second thing is the boyfriend and girlfriend start fighting. And then the third wheel is complaining about the fact that they won't stop fighting. And then somebody gets hurt while trying to change a tire because it started raining and blah, blah, blah. It's just building, building. And then they disappear. And then somebody somebody decides they're going to go knock on that weirdo farmer's house. Right. And then the guy with the chainsaw comes out. Son of a bitch. Motherfucker. Damn, Brett, you should make a movie, man. You came up with all that on your own. I got this. I got this. Right on the freaking, just like that, man. Crazy. what... I guess, so pulling that stuff out and in mothership, right? And the other thing that's really fun about an environment like that is the environment is very contained. If you're in Seattle, it's a city. If you're in mothership, it's a ship. Right. Um, When I run, I've run D&D games that I would call a siege, where basically you're in an inn and the inn is being besieged by monsters and somebody who wants something inside. And when that happens, the area is very contained. For me, it's easier to do this. One of the reasons why I love city campaigns, I think I talked about this a little bit, and I'm doing this to my home game with Avalon, is small, nagging shit happens. <laughs> Lenny's character found out his sister's dating somebody he doesn't want her dating. So he's got to go dig into this kid, find out what the deal is, ends up killing the kid, feeding him to some ghouls, but that's a different, different issue. And somebody else finds out that their dad wasn't quite who they said they were. Oh, and they made, they upset this person. Oh, this guild's mad at them. It's small, nagging bullshit, but it's very contained. I think sometimes the openness of a D&D adventure sometimes, it, and I guess because if it's not in a city, it's not in a certain location, you just can, oh, fuck it, I go to Greyhawk. Then I go over here to over there. Run over, over down to Grand Duchy of Jeff. We're going to go to the Parmage and we're going to hang out over here. It doesn't feel like it's contained as well. Like you can fuck with them on that level. Is that yeah. what you're. Yeah. It's a different, if it's a, di- it's a different feel watching Game of Thrones, which I know you haven't watched, but it's, it's a different. I've seen bits and pieces, okay. but I know enough about but it. But it's a different saga than, a, than Star Wars or Alien or. Mm-hmm. John Wick is a perfect example. Like that's like just keep keep throwing shit at one guy all throughout the whole thing. Where it's and and Ozark is this is kind of spurred by the Netflix series Ozark. I don't know you probably haven't seen that yet. No. But. So the premise, quick for folks that haven't watched it, Justin Bateman um, plays an an individual that is laundering money for a huge Mexican drug cartel got it and he's super 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 smart financially like he knows how to work the numbers knows all how to do all that stuff well eventually what happens is he obviously gets in over his head they move to the ozarks and out of the chicago area and and basically he's working for this cartel and every it's so funny if you watch this it's like the guy must wake up and just wonder, like, what the hell could go wrong today? Because it does. Like, then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. And I'm like, this is perfect, right? Because it's constantly making this. And he's it's like so, break, it's like Breaking Bad. You it know, is totally the, like it it's is all all of those shows, right? I've only yeah. seen bits and pieces of that. Yeah. So oh, you got to watch Breaking Bad too, Brett. Like, it's, I know, I know, I got other shows. They're great shows. They really are. 
But it is. You're exactly like that. And in Ozark, some people have compared it to Breaking Bad, where it's like this thing. And, and just when you're like, oh, okay. And then you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that just happened or that's about to happen. How the hell is he going to get out of this one? Sons right? of Anarchy did a similar thing. Every time sure. you turn around Sons of Anarchy, someone got shot, stabbed, murdered, raped, something horrible happened or threatened to happen or lost a finger or whatever. Yeah, horrible shit. So part of it's kind of like, okay, so it's probably more applicable to certain games and so how you run certain games. You can still do it in D&D, I'm sure. But one of the things was was that component. And and part of also what I brought up to Brett was John Wick's Play Dirty, which he like writes a lot about like throwing the freaking kitchen sink at your players. Now, one of the things I would say... Um, John is actually reading his uh, Play Dirty articles on YouTube. We should probably link to that. They're kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and he's got, it, they were written like, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So he's got a slightly different spin on it. Like, hey, you know, I was, uh, I'm not the same angry younger guy I was at that point. So let me tell you a little something different. John, John has grown a little bit. Yeah. So those adventures that are happening that John Wick talks about, that I've talked about, and um, I made those up. John made those up. Those are not pre-published. Right. The Mothership one you're running is a published adventure, correct? So it is. But it's built. But it's more have... guidelines, right? Okay. It's, this is kind of the thing. Like, there's these things. Well, what I'm... But, what how, I'm... but there isn't, like, you enter this room in there. Well, that's not fair. There are rooms on the ship where you can read the room descriptions. But I've gone off a little bit of that because... It, you know, a wandering monster. Okay, it felt well, right. It feels good to do it. It's like you yeah. Already, and the other, I mean, if you're reading the table, even it's a even if it's a virtual table, you can see when people are acting. Like, oh my gosh, what's that? What'd you say? Fuck! Did I hear that? Shit. Um. Okay. Uh. Benny, get over here. Or Julie, over here. You know, and <clears throat> people start talking and moving. The characters and the players start acting differently. So you start reading the table. I think the challenge you would have, and this is just me talking, is the group you're playing, the um, uh, da -da -da fucking, the D and D game. Shit, I just forgot Tomb the adventure. Of Annihilation. Tomb of Annihilation. Mm -hmm. Tomb of Annihilation isn't written like that. No. And you could could you do it? Yes, you could. You would have to do some serious rework to make it work the way you want it to. Or <clears throat> throw things. This is where when I start running pre published adventures, I I tend to go off the pre published rails pretty quick. Yeah. Because I get cooking along and. I'm like, you know what? Scratch that. This person's over here. This is there. They're nagging them. They're bothering them. Because you can start with something as simple as, okay, no one's bothered to check their, um, take care of their equipment or anything like that. So I'm going to start small. You're, you do notice your armor's starting to get a little rusty. Ah, shit. Yeah, we're in a jungle. All right. Fuck. I said I took it off and put it in my pack, but I didn't really pack an oilcloth or take care of it. Yeah, all right. So tonight, I, you're going to spend some time cleaning your armor? Yeah, I should get my armor out. So you're cleaning your armor. Good for you. You notice the leather straps in your backpack are pretty rotted, too. God damn it. Oh, this is just like maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. Well, you had to take your armor off to deal with that, and that's when the goblins show up. So, ah, fuck, you got to find them without armor on. You defeat the goblins. Not that big a deal. And then you move on. But I think this mindset that you've got going into Mothership, you'd have to carry that same mindset when you read the pre-published adventure, when you looked at Tomb of Annihilation and say, how could I do a similar thing? And does it fit? 
Because if you go right. to play that game, you go to play that adventure, if that game is not about strange, bizarre intrigue and so forth, it can feel like you're bolting on this weird thing. Yeah. Because some of those games, some of those settings, adventures, and so forth, I honestly think are fine in a way. It can frustrate us to a point, but if they spend four hours fucking around in a room, that's okay. The game doesn't break. They're in a dungeon or a crypt, and some of those dungeons and crypts are more alive than others, and sometimes nothing happens. you got to go from one place to another in order to make something happen. So they fuck about for three hours. They fuck about for three hours. And it can feel unnatural to have ninjas kick in the door or to start throwing in these small, nagging pressure things if you've never done it. If you started the campaign with it, I think you'd have easier luck trying to implement that now. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I agree. Like, I, it would be weird to bolt on stuff. And, and Tomb of Annihilation is a... They, they, walk, they walk down a corridor and something happened to them. But the corridor just... They didn't know this. And I don't know if any of these guys... I think maybe Andy listens to us. But, you know, they don't... The Tomb of Annihilation... Spoil, it's not a spoiler. But if you're going to go through that adventure, it's a smart intelligent player module adventure, right? So if if there's a corridor and the DM reads to you what the corridor description is, it probably has something to do with the corridor. Like, you, better, you better pay attention. Yeah, pay attention to what it's telling you because those the hints are there. Those but people puzzles, are like, well, I walk right down the hallway. Well, those puzzle what? events, man, they that's a different style of play that you're it looking is. for. Yeah. So I think if you were to look at that adventure and read the whole thing through and say, huh, this is an old school dungeon crawl or this is how this works. I really can't do the pressure tension thing or I want to, which is not going to work. Doesn't doesn't really apply. My buddy Alpha running the um, the undermountain. He's not doing this. We have food to track and some other things we need to worry about. But he's not doing the weird pressure shit that I'm pulling off in Avalon. It doesn't mean I'm better. It's just it's a different environment. The setting, the, the the container the adventure is happening in lends itself to this stuff. Right. Yeah, you could totally take Tomb of Annihilation, rework the fucker, and crack this stuff in there. But I think that might be more work than it's worth in some of those yeah. cases. But I think you can't, I do it with D&D, I do it with Pathfinder. A lot of people have done it with a lot of different game systems, so it, it can be done. I think it comes down more to the setting. And um, I like, part of what you said is you have to, you kind of start small and then have a relax. A thing and then a relaxing moment. Just, and you've got to be able to let the air out. You can only hold your breath for so long before you turn blue and pass out. Right. <clears throat> At some point, I knew... The floating head pangolin vampires are going to are going to pop up if the players haven't figured it out. They had enough clues; they should have figured out X. Huh? Well, creatures are having a turf war. Something weird's going to happen. Well, they finally did something. Alpha and Nick break into this old brewery. They go up there. Oh my God! They find the body, no head. The head flies in the room. Craziness ensues. People get dropped from big heights. It's fucked up. Oh my God! What the fuck? Well, 
At some point, the monster had to show up. They had enough clues of vampires, of bleeding, controlling, and this, this, and this. Like, where is it? Where is it? At some point, Dracula fucking shows up. Jonathan Harker and Van Helsing don't just wander around going, I just can't seem to find him. What the hell's going on? What is happening? You can't wander around Mothership or Aliens or wherever the fuck you are and go, God, I don't know where the Klingons are. I mean, we've been looking. We've heard Klingon signs all day, but I haven't seen a Klingon for 16 sessions. Yep. You can't maintain that. You can't maintain that. It has to have these bursts. You go, ah, oh, good. Ah, oh, good. Ah, fuck, there it really is. You know, and the small tensions are small. Conquerable, defeatable. You've gotten past the tension. Ah, the door didn't door didn't open. I got a fucking crowbar in there. I got the spaceship door jammed open. But now, when the players flee back through that room, and the creatures chasing them, what about that? That how does that play into it? You know that. <clears throat> so I think you're beat. I think you're beating the story right. And I think. How do I do this? So I think there's, like you said, there's an art form to it. And sometimes you can get almost overly, for my mind, overly prescriptive. I think the way you're doing it naturally, are you doing it where you like, hey, it's a little slow. I want to add something. Do you just find yourself finding natural places for you anyway? I uh, was waiting and waiting and I kind of thought, I got I want to get this going. And so I wanted, it had to be the right timing. Mm-hmm. And have things kind of fall in place like, oh, this would probably be a good time to do this. I don't know if I necessarily have to think like that all the time, because I think part of prepping the not prepping and just blurting that out in the middle of, all right, we're kind of searching this room. I search in the corner, just dropping the hammer and going, there's blood. Yeah, the whole. Yeah, there's blood or there's a, a creature that jumps out at you or the whole ship you're doing that and you're suddenly thrown to the other side of the room because the whole ship just tilts what the hell is going on and then you know it tilts back and you're getting flown all over it goes from searching the room really boring to all of a sudden blah now i had to pick it i picked certain times where it was like okay (laughs) this happened oh and by the way five minutes like something happened and it wasn't that big a deal that's another thing too right something happened they're like, well, that's weird. You know, they're trying to call their ship. Hey, hello, hello, come in. They can't communicate. Well, not a real big deal, right? Not life-threatening. The ship took off. I don't know. We'll have to deal with that at some point. And then Monster shows up. Well, the the ship having taken off or wherever it went and the monster being in front of you, that whole, now it's compounded. Like, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna say shit, so. where the hell are we going to go now? I don't want to spoil this for anybody who's, <laughs> who's playing the game or plans to here, but one of the things that you talked to me about off air before yeah. the show was you know the adventure. And by that, I mean, you know what's supposed to happen, the big things, you know, all the major themes, so on and so forth. The fact that you have that stuff down, and it's not the huge fucking, it's not a 200-page book, right? No, no. You know the main themes. Monster moon this 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 you've got all that stuff yeah but you know what i'm saying you have that stuff you are free to improvise as long as you stay true to those things this is the it's like the core mechanic this is the the main through line the spine the main plot points the main beats the main stuff so one of the things that robin law said and i've realized over the years i'm like when i read i'm like huh i do that i never called it that was what's the most interesting thing that can happen right now if something's fucking boring 
Right. You're searching in the room, you find nothing. Second room, you're like, okay, they can't find nothing. Something's got to happen. You find a hand. What? Just a hand? Yeah. <laughs> Is it like in a glove? No, there's a fucking hand. Is there blood? No, no blood. <laughs> what the fuck? There's a hand? There's a human hand laying there? Actually, you can't even tell if it's necessarily human. What do you mean I can't tell if it's human? You're getting down there to look? All right, fine. I go down to look at the hand. <laughs> What is that about? It's not yeah. in the rules. It doesn't no. matter. It fits the theme, though. What does the monster do? Does it eat people? Does it sever their hands? And maybe at that moment, like, you know what the fucking monster does? It won't eat their left hand. I don't know why, but it won't eat the left hand. Every body they find, they find left hands. I, it's fuck. I don't know. I'm making this shit up, right? Right. But that's, you can do that stuff. You can blurt out a truth. And sometimes the players blurt out this wonderful truth. Right. They find something and go, oh, my God, it eats their livers. Now it does. Now it eats livers. That's a great idea, Jared Rasher. <laughs> Click. <laughs> and then you go on to the next piece. Motherfucker. Is the liver? Yeah. Yeah. Liver's missing. I knew it. The liver's <laughs> fucking missing. God damn it. It eats livers. Motherfucking monster. Diet liver eating bastards. You've got it. Right? But you are staying the you're in a contained area. You know the main pieces of what the area are all about. And from that, you're free to improvise in the pressure and the tension components by adding... Spooky clues, freaky occurrences. And one of the things that goes into that is the it's not connected, non sequitur bullshit. Wham! The ship bounces. What the fuck was that about? It has nothing to do with anything. Meteorite. Small one. Cracked the ship. Spun it 180 degrees. But just chucked you around a bit. You have no way to know that, though. But the ship moved. What could that be? Could be it. Could have been hit. Could be a monster jumping up and down outside. Maybe there's reavers. I don't know. The players look at you, there's fucking reavers? There's reavers here? No, I don't know. Are there? Maybe there are. <laughs> right. I say shit like that to my guys all the time. Yeah. What is that? I don't know. It could be a you know, vampire or Dracula. Maybe it's maybe it's Frankenstein. It's, it's a fucking golem. I don't know. It could be. Why wouldn't it be a golem? Fuck off, Brett. You know, I, <laughs> saying those things, but blurting that stuff out, I, you were free to do that, Sean, because you know what's in oh, the container. Thanks, Brett. No, I'm just saying it's, it's all, <laughs> the fact that you're doing it, and that's, I think... And I'm not saying that you, I mean, you're a smart dude, so you probably figured it out. But I just think from the outside looking in, I'm like, that is part of it. I'm seeing that as like the fact that Sean's able to do it is because he has mastery over what the setting is supposed to be for this, for this event. You don't have to know all the known universe setting, right. but where's this, what box is this adventure taking place in? Is it a sandbox? Fine. But there's a this, a this, a this, 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 there's five big things. As long as you stay true to those things, do whatever it is you got to do. Well, and so going going to Mothership and, and even after this is done and me running another game, whether it's a, a con or a mini, mini campaign session, four or three sessions long game, part of me wants to run games that are – my voice just squeaked like a 13. <laughs> I want to run games that are kind of in that nuance, like whether it's Call of Cthulhu, Delta Green, Knights Black Agents, Mothership – I mean, even D and D. I mean, if I ran Eberron, it could kind of fit the setting because it's mm -hmm. more pulp noir. But I don't. I'm not opposed to running the big Tomb of Annihilation epic dungeon crawl. But part of me is also kind of. I want these guys to kind of be under the pressure and and shit goes. Now, that's not to say that there isn't the lull where they can sit and think and kind of ponder what's going on or kind of put the clues two and two together. But I, I kind of like putting the freaking screws to these guys and making them, you know, think on their toes, make actions relatively quick, you know, 
throw shit at them that they're going to have to react to in a relatively timely fashion because they have to. Yep. One of the things that you, my experience has taught me is that it's great to do it. And then there's a certain point, like you said, that there's a time to rest. Yeah. You got to rest. Yeah. <sighs> okay. <clears throat> you have enough time to go through the woodshed, find the rusty bandsaw, the two circular saw blades, the ball peen hammer, and the nail gun. Okay. Now we can get that motherfucker. Right. And you've got this handmade garbage tools you're going to go fight this monster with. Every horror movie's got that. These yeah. tense movies, these action movies. The A-Team, oh my God, what are they going to do? BA's going to go build a fucking tank out of a lawnmower or something. There's a, there's a section where they can calm down and put a plan together and do something. Ripley's able to pull something together to go down to get Newt from the Queen. It takes time to do that. Right. Should Newt be dead by then? Yeah, probably. Face sucker, ate her up, whatever. That's what happens. However, there's time. And what's wonderful is that if you do it right, when the group is, you, and if you're watching the team, you watch the crew and look at you like, oh my God, and they're at that frazzled state, you get them in this little free zone. Okay, you've driven the beast off. You've got the door locked. You've got an escape path. What do you guys want to do? It's real quiet right now. Really? Really? Yeah. Dead quiet. You hear nothing. Well, and that's a good point too, because part of me also likes, so I like that kind of ramp up, throwing them a bunch of shit and having them go, oh shit. Okay. What are we going to do? They, they go run away or they come up with something very quickly and they take this and they do that. And this guy's doing this and that woman's doing this, blah, blah, blah. And then it, it they get out of that they lose a character they save them they drag them and then there's a, a sense of okay tranquility it seems that they're safe it's like it's a and then you walk away and let them all talk amongst themselves on how to figure out what the hell they're going to tackle next it's that thing when <laughs> i've done stupid shit in my life and every once in a while you stop and you're like am i bleeding yeah fuck okay yeah that hurt yeah i'm gonna feel that tomorrow I'm st uh, I stuck myself. I did that. Whatever. You got hurt. It happens. And you need to do self-assessment. The crew, the whole group needs to self-assess. Whether you're playing a vampire right. game or Call of Cthulhu, they go, okay, well, what the hell do we got? Mm -hmm. And you yeah. as Game Master get to do those things that you and I, Sean, have talked about in the past. Like, okay, guys, just let me set the stage for you. Right. This happened, 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 and there's reavers. What? You said there's no reavers. I'm kidding. There's no reavers. But these seven things just occurred. You seem to have a moment to catch your breath. What do you guys want to do? Any questions? Anything you want to ask about? And give them a chance to ask, define, refine. Wait a minute. You said it looked like a hammer? Yes. Okay. All right. No, I said a Did hand. You? Oh, a it's hand. A hand. It was a hand. Oh, I heard Not hammer. Not a hammer. Okay. Hand. My bad. Hand. Okay. Okay. Hand, hand, hand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but you can do that. And they're, right. they're trying to figure out. They're trying to put it together. How do I kill Jason? How do I defeat Freddy? How do I defeat the creature how do is it afraid of fire what have we learned hey remember it didn't like x hey remember one of the things my guys failed was uh a creature who was transforming into a vampire crashed into the inn and uh he screams at lenny's character because he's lenny's character's buddy that he owes him something and lenny's like oh fuck i owe him money so he throws coins at him the vampire follows the coins through the, through the air. Where they land, he goes over to immediately. He goes, one, two, three. It's an old vampire legend. Vampires have to count shit. 
And they did this twice. And nobody, the OCD action. And nobody caught that that's, that, that was the vampire tell. Ah. Uh. Afterwards, when they had the... Huh, someone brings up, yeah, and he was counting coins. I said, yeah, he kind of did the whole very methodical, made sure he counted everyone's, gathered them up before he took any other actions. Yeah, that's right. Ah, fuck. He's a goddamn... He was a vampire, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Okay, all right. That's good to know. Blah, blah, blah. But that's that time when they can take the clues and piece them together. Because the danger, the risk is pressure, 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 boom. Yeah. And we never had a chance. It was a it was a railroad to a TPK. This is how you stop it being a railroad to a TPK. Because the train stops at the station. They can stop, take a leak, get some food, get a snack, figure what's going on, get back on the train, and go figure out what's going to happen. Maybe. <clears throat> Maybe. Or you just keep the... Or you just... Ah, get the pressure on them. And depending how long it is, I think... You don't have to have every session has doesn't necessarily have to have the the deep breather. True. But if you haven't had one in a while, we're like, huh, was it last session or two sessions ago? Might be a good time to throw one in there. Yeah. We weren't we weren't too scientific about how you introduce the beat structure here, but just the theory behind it. Right. Yeah. Any other so, points you wanted to hit, man? No, not really. I mean, no. No, I think we're good. Um I am interested to hear if People have their own method of of putting in this in any examples or good stories people have about making the characters kind of run a ragged for a little while and throwing them uh, the kitchen sink. And then and if, if you've got a structure, it's it sounds corny, but it's hard sometimes to put the lightning in a bottle because there's game masters out there that do really, really cool stuff. And if you ask them, how is it you do that? They look at you and say, I don't know. I just do it. It's not easy. There's stuff I do. I'm like, huh, how'd that, where'd I come up with that? I don't know. It just happens because it's just a muscle I've exercised. Asking a pro athlete, and we're not pro athletes here, right? But asking a pro athlete how they did the no-look pass, like, well, I just knew he'd be there because that's what we do. You've got this sink. And if you've got a group you're gaming with, and sometimes the group is just on, man, and you guys, bam, 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 bam. It's like wonderful stage, you know, improv. If it's working, it's really working. And, uh, it's not it's not easy to come up with or write up an actual process and have it seem like it'd be fun to do. Because <laughs> a lot of processes, I like Robin Laws, but some of his stuff is so goddamn dry to me. But anyway, so yeah, let us know what you think, what you got. Let's get into die roll. Let's do die that. Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery you want to bring to you. I've got four this week. First one, Full Deck Role-Playing by Jason Blair. So Jason used to live here in Madison, where I live, and had done um, the Streets of Bedlam uh, for Savage Worlds, as well as Little Fears. So he put out an RPG. It's free. We'll have a link to his blog post that talks about what it is. And then in the blog post, there's a link to drive through RPGs where you can download that um, game that he's designed, which is based on like a deck of cards. It's also somebody, Gareth, um, Gareth, what's his last name? Brett, Gareth. He's the gamer guy. Yeah, Skarka. Mm -hmm. um, Knows Jason as well, posted on Twitter and mentioned that you could use it for actually creating stories if you want to just be an author. Slick. Yeah, second one, Empire of the East, which is a DCC Kickstarter. It's funded, ends May 29th, 2020, as this is being recorded. Uh, Empire of the East is a, I think, a Brett Saberhagen 
series. Fred Saberhagen. Fred Saberhagen. Yes. Brett is my co-host. Yes. Fred Saberhagen is yeah, the totally, author. Yeah, totally different Saberhagen Blazinski. Yeah. Yeah, totally different guy. <laughs> uh, third one, Tom Cartos. I uh, came across Tom on Twitter. He put out 50-plus maps for virtual tabletops that he's designing and has designed, and he has a Pinterest and a Patreon. So he put them up on Pinterest, and then you can go there and redirects you to the to the map, and you could download those for free. Otherwise, He's got some good-looking maps out there, man. Yeah. So check those out if you're playing Roll20 or, um, you know, what Virtual Grounds. You can import those cool. maps. Yep. Last one, but uh, second to last one, Twilight 2000, 4E, 4th edition role-playing game announced by Free League Publishing. Man, Twilight 2000, I never played, but I think I may check this out. I I wanted to play that. I got to play, make characters and play once. I loved it. it yeah. A long, long time ago. Yeah. The concept, the theory behind it, I'm like, oh, this would be fun. This would be a fun little alternate universe type of thing to do. Part of the reason is that I have this alternate World War One game in my head. And this might be a good way to figure out how somebody's, how to do it right. So I'm really interested in this. Yeah. For, uh, I just think it'd be cool. So yeah, so I'm there's a lot of one. people like, ooh, you know, that's awesome. And then the last one, Brett. Yeah, I've got the uh, the link to John Wick reading the Play Dirty chapters. I think he's up to like chapter five or something at this point. But it's kind of fun. That's all we have for this week, folks. Uh, Brett, what are we talking about next week? Any I'm not, plans? not sure, man. Okay. We will come Stuff. up with something. Stuff and things. Stuff and things. You have to tune in next week, this time, Thursday or Monday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time, U.S., mm-hmm. and we'll record live. Otherwise, you can catch us at GamingNBS.com, our podcast there, and you can download this show in audio format and listen to it at your leisure. You bet. Thanks, everybody, for showing up uh, live. Thanks for everybody listening. Uh, I guess we'll wrap it up. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Brian Kurtz, Ray Otis, Larry Hout, Mark DeSaka, Pira Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humfleet, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValle, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Jim Fitzpatrick, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Anil Diamond, Howard Bishop, Eric Salzweedle, Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Andy Hall, David F. Playlog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, Brian Rumble, Henry Newcomb, Eric Tavola, Roger Brasslett, Mark Soam, Andy Olson, Erica Villa, Ron Blessing, Jeff Seifert, Mike Hess, Angus, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Rory Weston, Curtis Hinson, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Huss Carl, Jason Weeb, Dollar Adventure Frameworks, a.k.a. Steve, Jared Rasher, Michael Dinos, Mike, Matt Cyberlick, Chad Glayman, Finolf, Josh Wallace, Corey Welsh, Merkel Froelich, Rich Wishon, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, and Aaron Ralia. Hey, if you've liked what you've heard in this show, tell one of your players. Have them go to gamingandbs.com forward slash subscribe. We would really appreciate it. Thanks, BSers! This, this has, has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.